This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Illinois 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congresswoman Sherry Bustos next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Illinois 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos is encouraged by President Joe Biden's commitment to agriculture and rural America. But Bustos says the Democratic Party has work to do to gain the trust and support of rural voters. I've been very involved in Democrats in um, in rural America and in looking at what we need to do to be more successful. And, and candidly, I think we have a lot of work to do. I am now one of only three Democrats, three Democrats in the entire U.S. House of Representatives who comes from a district that Donald Trump won in, in 2016 and 2020. The other two, in case your listeners are wondering, is Ron Kind out of Wisconsin, and Matt Cartwright out of the working class area of Pennsylvania. Uh, Scranton, in fact, is in his congressional district. And then I'm, I'm the third. We've only got seven Democrats who come from districts that Donald Trump won, um, and they're now serving in Congress. So, so that's it. You know, we always talk about uh, the Democratic Party being a big tent, right? I mean, you hear that all the time. It's almost a, a cliche now. And I would argue that that big tent, has to include views from the heartland, views from rural America, views from districts that are uh, where the economy is driven by agriculture. And that means that sometimes we're not going to be in sync with everything that uh, maybe the party at large is, uh, is in sync with. So, um, look, I, I think how we make gains, though, is that we deliver on some of the promises that have been made. And that means when, when you heard candidate Biden talking about more help was on the way before he was sworn in, and now we've delivered with the American Rescue Plan, um, when you heard him talk about having uh, the, the biggest, most robust infrastructure package in the history of our country, then we've got to deliver on that. Um, the, the fact that uh, President Biden talked about rural America, talked about biofuels and getting that in a better place, those are all things we can't just talk about, but we have to deliver on. And I think that's how you build back the faith of uh, rural Americans, um, farmers, to, to say, hey, you know what, the Democratic Party, um, the, those who are serving with a D next to their name, they're doing okay by me. That's really, in the end, what you want. When President Biden talked about goals, he said climate. When Chairman Scott of the Ag Committee talked about goals, he said climate. Ranking Member Thompson, what are your goals? Climate. Uh, the chair of the Senate uh, Agriculture Committee, uh, Ms. Stabenow, climate. Mr. Bozeman of Arkansas, climate. But when Mr. Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack, was talking about his priorities after becoming the nominee, he talked about racial diversity and making sure that USDA programs were equitable. 
What needs to be accomplished here to solve perhaps wounds that have been open for some time? Well, I, I, I don't think um, Pres- uh, Secretary Vilsack is a, is a kind of guy who can only get one thing done. Oh, no. I think when, when, when you look at uh, climate, that, that is the foundation that will uh, play a part when we look at infrastructure. It, it will lay a foundation for as we look at agricultural policy. Um, I, I think when he talked about the diversity is the, the U.S. Department of Agriculture doesn't exactly have a great track record as it pertains to, to black farmers. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you know about the past lawsuits. Um, there's, um, you, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of issues that we want to make sure that when you look at farming, you know, we want to bring more family farmers into this line of work. That's not easy to do. As you know, I mean, starting something from scratch, we've got uh, a bill that looks at young farmers and, and uh, uh, veterans who want to go into agriculture. But um, I, I think his message overall is that, that we treat wh- whoever you are, um, we treat them, we treat people fairly. And uh, the USDA, again, if you look back historically, doesn't exactly have a great track record along those lines. But but I but I believe that when you're when you're asking about priorities, I think it's kind of as you just laid them out, any and all of the above. So then thinking about the challenge that has been there, and not just for the previous so many months, this has been ongoing, will there need to be help from Congress, from the Agriculture Committees to assist the Secretary in, in achieving this? Uh, again, what, what needs to be done in order to accomplish these goals? Politics and, and, and government is a team sport. This is not all going to be done by executive order, nor do we want any, everything to be done by executive order. President Biden has started um, his, his tenure um, over these next four years. He, he started this out by um, having, uh, signing some executive orders because there, were, there, was some, um, there was some quick work that needed to be done. However, Secretary Vilsack understands the importance of getting in front of the Ag Committee in the House and in the Senate and working together to bring about some real and lasting change. And how you do that, how you bring about real and lasting change, is you do that together. You do that in bipartisan fashion. We, we don't want to do this just as Democrats, even though we've got the majority in the House and the Senate and with uh, Joe Biden in the White House. We've got to do this together. And uh, I, I think uh, Secretary Vilsack has every desire to do that. I know that President Biden has every desire to do that. Looking for the success of agriculture, obviously trade is at the center of hope. And Catherine Tai is now the U.S. trade ambassador. And certainly uh, Secretary Vilsack said that he's not the same person that he was before, nor is the USDA, nor is the nation. But in his time of service to the Dairy Export Council, you would have to wonder if he doesn't have a renewed emphasis and willing to partner with the USTR in finding opportunities for U.S. agriculture. As you know, trade is critical to our growers and our producers. That's, that's how you, you grow your market share, right? That's how you sell more of what you produce. Early in my tenure in Congress, I uh, actually led a bipartisan trade mission uh, focused entirely on agriculture, and we went to Cuba. Um, I took a, se- a second trip to Cuba when President Obama went there. And, and my focus there on any of the side meetings that I was able to be part of and help set up was around agriculture. That's a $2 billion a year trading opportunity we have specifically to agriculture. And now with President Biden in the in office again, we took a four-year hiatus on trying to work out any trade agreement with Cuba. President Obama worked hard on that. Uh, the, the four years of President Trump, it all went by the wayside, and I'm hoping we can pick that up again. 
But uh, we have some unbelievable opportunities with China if we can get that in a good place. Um, we we took a hit when President Trump threatened to, to, to discontinue NAFTA. Uh, but we've got to look for, for new markets, the U.K., Kenya, other developing nations. And I, I am all in favor of doing all we can when it comes to trade and agriculture. It, it is how we will will help our family farmers. And probably, there's probably not any other bigger and better single way of helping our family farmers than to look for new trading partners. We've certainly seen a turnaround in farm income, and a lot of that has to do, A, with weather and uh, uh portions of the world that haven't been kind for production, but also for China's appetite for supplies. China would be said by some as a tremendous challenge, and some would say is a tremendous opportunity. The Chinese are saber-rattling now. I know you serve on the Committee on Appropriations, the Subcommittee on Defense. Is it concerning that China's uh, flexing itself in that Asian region and that the first face-to-face meetings with the Biden administration were contentious, to say the least, how do we work with them through the challenges and keep the agriculture doors open? Well, yeah, the, the first meeting to, was a little bit rocky, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, but but I, I think the way you characterized um, both the, you know, from the, the defense perspective of this and the opportunity, uh, opportunity that we have to trade with China, it's, it's both of those things. And it's, uh, you know, kind of walking a tightrope, so to speak, to, to get, um, all of both of those things in the in the right place. Um, they are they are flexing their muscle all over the the world now, and you know they're going in and paying for ports um, in countries that can't otherwise afford to, to build those ports on their own. And they're kind of you know wiggling their way in in all different corners of this world. Um, and uh, yet at the same time, we are still the number one ag producer anywhere we we farm like nobody else farms we've got the really as as it pertains to agriculture we've got the greatest opportunities in handling our um our negotiations and our diplomacy with countries like china is is important um i think um secretary of state blinken is has the talent to help get this in the right place and, um, you know, there's, but there's a lot of work that has to be done. There was, there's been a lot of damage that has been done in, with our reputation throughout the world. And um, uh, we have a lot of work to do. But I, I think, again, with the leadership that President Biden's putting together with Secretary Blinken, with our trade representative, Ty, I, I, think, uh, I think we'll get this in the right place. But it's not going to happen overnight. An early win for the Biden administration was additional assistance from COVID-19. It had a hefty price tag, but there is now said to be, next on the list, that of infrastructure. And certainly there are tremendous need in infrastructure all across the country. And uh, preliminary reports suggest this could be a pricey bill as well. I'm curious, how soon do you see this coming and from a person uh, as yourself who has spent so much time working on rural broadband, do you see this especially singled out in this legislation? Well, the Speaker of the House has asked all of the chairs of the key committees of jurisdiction as it pertains to infrastructure to begin working in bipartisan fashion with what our initial proposal will look like on the, the biggest, most robust infrastructure package we've ever put together in the history of our country. Um, and that is what the what President Biden is asking us to put together as well. I think rural broadband will be an incredibly part, a big part of that. 
I serve on the House Task Force on Rural Broadband. And let me just tell you a little bit of a backstory on that. Uh, the chair of that is uh, Congressman uh, Jim Clyburn of South Carolina. He is the whip of our caucus, so that means the third highest-ranking Democrat in uh, in the House. His relationship with President Biden is very, very close. Now, the reason I share that with you is because Jim Clyburn has said his number one priority for this congressional session is to get rural broadband taken care of. And what that what does that mean? The 23 million Americans, mostly who live in rural areas, who do not have access to high-speed Internet, uh, he and the rest of us on the uh, Rural Broadband Task Force want to make sure that when it's all said and done, every last one of them have access to high-speed Internet. I, I, if there's anything that we've learned from this pandemic, it's the importance of that. We can't have our smaller towns be left behind. We can't have our kids in our rural communities left behind when they have to study remotely or when health care has to be delivered through telehealth or, or when our small businesses can only be successful if you have high-speed Internet. And, if, and so if we don't get up to speed on that, we will, we will be left behind as this uh, kind of Internet economy moves forward. So I, I, I think that not only um, will that be part of an infrastructure package, I, I think we will, we will have meaningful legislation that will address these 23 million Americans who don't have access to high-speed Internet. Related issue is health care. And many, uh, many, many conversations are coming now about telehealth and what an advantage that's going to be. Well, with no broadband, there's no telehealth. And once again, rural America is left out of adequate health care. To make matters even worse, I just was in uh, Warren County, uh, which is uh, in, in my congressional district. It's uh, mostly rural. And what, what goes on in a, in a county like that, in a community like Monmouth, Illinois, which is the, the county seat there, is they have to deliver their health care in many parts or various parts of that county. They have to deliver it by telehealth. Why? Because they, it is so difficult to recruit physicians to some of our more rural counties. They have, they have been looking for a year for a, uh, a psychiatrist, uh, someone who could offer uh, mental health treatment in this in this county, it, it took them a year to find somebody. And the only reason they were able to hire this person was they had to really increase the uh, salary for the, uh, the for the psychiatric provider. And, and in fact, they said that their reimbursement rates won't even cover his salary. So you think about that. So if you don't have telehealth. It, where you have a very difficult time uh, recruiting physicians and, and even, in some cases, nurses to a community, you think about how much even worse that makes delivering health care. So it's kind of all of those problems together. If you don't have telehealth, um, it is just it is going to make it worse and worse from a health care delivery perspective because at least now with telehealth, you could have a psychiatrist in Chicago and they could deliver care in Monmouth, Illinois. But, but without those capabilities um, and, and with the, the problem of recruiting health care providers on top of it in, in some of our rural areas, it, we are just really going to be hurting if, if we don't get this in a good place. I would be interested if you think the infrastructure bill would include any element of climate that might affect agriculture. Oh, I, I think climate will be an underlying factor of the entire infrastructure bill. 
Um, I, I, we look. I, I look at things like um, biofuels. How does the infrastructure for biofuels play into our future? You know, we, we had General Motors announce uh, about having an all-electric fleet by 2035, um, and I've heard from a lot of our uh, family farmers who are concerned about, well, what does that mean for ethanol? What does it mean for biofuels? Well, look. That, first of all, that's not until 2035, and we've got to be prepared. Uh, to address climate between now and 2035, and I think biofuels can play a, a tremendous role there. Um, I, uh, I have something that we wrote out of our office called the Rural Green Partnership that is our way of, of saying, hey, when we're talking about climate and um, when you've got various uh, uh, proposals out there to address climate, we want to make sure that here in the heartland and in rural America, in ag country, that we have a seat at the table and we can talk about how we can be part of the solution, whether it's through carbon capture, uh, cover crops, biofuels. Um, all of that is part of the, the solution going forward. But the, the underlying practice, as we look at the uh, infrastructure, will be around climate. That will be a, a key part as we look at um, what's, what's going to happen to infrastructure as we move forward, things like solar, things like wind, um, things like the, uh, the, the power grid, all, all of that will, uh, will be part of it. And, and uh, rural America plays a tremendous role in climate and in this infrastructure, as infrastructure package as we move forward. What are your hopes for this new EPA, and what would your counsel be to Administrator Regan with regard to the renewable fuel standard and the small refinery exemptions and that whole hornet's nest of issues that has festered over some time? Oh, my gosh. We're, we, we sure um, got off track over the, last, uh, over the last four years. You know, it, it, it's clear that the small refinery waiver process was, was, was broken in the previous administration. Um, you know, the, there were broken promises after broken promise and, you know, really uh, a betrayal of the, of the trust of producers um, during all of this. You know, we're, the, the, the rate of the small refinery waivers that was passed out was four times uh, the rate that they were passed out under the Obama administration. So, um, look, I, I think we've got, to, um, we've got to get this in the right place. And um, I, I guess if there's there any any advice that I have is just to make sure that um, you know we look at the Obama Biden administration um, where they had a proven track record of growing biofuels um, under the RFS every year they were in office. I want to get back to that again. And voices like Secretary Vilsack, um, he's got a proven track record of championing uh, biofuels we want to see the same thing um, with the epa that they're that, that they're helpful and not hurtful to this industry ranking member bozeman on the senate ag committee is terribly concerned that climate policy might cut into uh the farm bill and funds that are a part of the risk management tools that farmers depend on the uh, miss tabadow suggests that there will be new policy and there will be new money do you fear that uh, the climate effort will cut into the farm bill? Well, I, you know, we, we've already talked about um, a, a little bit about carbon capture. Um, and uh, President Biden has been talking about, for instance, this carbon bank. How does that, how does that figure in? Um, we want to look at that, for instance, as an opportunity for the, the USDA to reward farmers. 
um, like like the those in in the district that I serve who have been engaged in sustainable farming practices for years now. You know, things like incentivizing no-till farming, cover cropping, uh, water management. So, um, but but we we will not cut existing farm bill safety programs paid out of the CCC fund, and I and I think that's important to note. But but I think we have to look at it. We've got opportunities to bring. Uh, new farmers to the table, incentives that can be a powerful tool for influencing farmers across the country uh, to get active in climate-smart agriculture. So um, I, 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 I prefer to look at it through that lens than saying that we're going to take away um, that we're going to take away anything. Congresswoman, uh, the House has again approved the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, and now it is uh, directed toward the Senate. Do you have a message for the members of the upper chamber and the need to solve the agriculture workforce issue? That we can't keep ignoring it. That is why we uh, we, we took on this issue and, and passed that out of the House just last week. We can't just keep talking about these things. It's, it's even like um, the issues that we have going on at the border. Um, we've got to look at why is this happening? How can we play a part in helping to address the fact that there are uh, so many people from Central America who are escaping um, rape and uh, murder and uh, just terrible conditions uh, to come to our country. Um, and as it pertains to ag workers, they're, they're trying to support their, their families and look for a better life. That is what, you know, that's human nature to look for uh, better, uh, a better way of um, supporting your family. Um, it was bipartisan. Uh, this was Democrats and Republicans coming together, which is which is always a positive. And um, you know, we we hope beyond hope that the the Senate will do something with the bill that we sent over. Congressman Bustos, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of your work representing the 17th district in Illinois and working on Capitol Hill still under COVID conditions to spend with us here on this edition of Open Mic. It is open, Mike, and you have the last word today. All right. Let, let me just uh, say thank you uh, again for, for having me on your program. I, I'm always grateful to be able to, to talk with you. You, uh, you. You're always kind to me, and I appreciate that. We have uh, close to 10,000 family farms in the congressional district that I serve in central and northwestern and northern Illinois. And my goal, uh, being a member of the House Ag Committee, is to do right by our family farmers. And um, and I, I do that, I think, probably um, in a way that I like to listen. Um, we do, we do, these days we do a lot of Zooms and, uh, and listen to what's on uh, uh, various uh, farmers, producers, growers' uh, minds, and uh, we do what we can to take that and turn that into policy that makes sense. So that's my goal. That will be my goal going forward here, serving on the Ag Committee for the next uh, couple years. and chairing a subcommittee of the the House Ag Committee as well. So we'll do our best to continue to do that. And, um, you know, we're we're always a phone call away from the the family farmers that we serve. Our thanks to Congresswoman Sherry Bustos, representing the 17th District in Illinois, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.